welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. On Healing Sunday, we always take this opportunity to, to have communion together as a family. And I, and I do want to say a little bit about communion just so that we can understand that this was, this was not intended by the Lord to be a religious ceremonial practice, even though he gave it to us to be a, a sacrament, a, a sacred place to experience the grace of God. He didn't intend for it to be some weird religious activity that does not have power, that has more tradition than power. And so I want you to at least understand that in the early church, in the first church, the act of communion was not a cracker and a little mini cup. It would have been a meal. They would have all sat together. They would have all fellowshiped. They would have, they would have broke bread together. They would have had an entire meal. And during the course of that meal, someone would have said, hey, take your bread. And let's remember what this bread was for. And then usually at the end of the meal... You know, we have, uh, the enemy has tried to change this stuff. At the beginning of time when people get together and they want to celebrate the world, they will get together and they'll take their cup and they will make a toast in, with their alcoholic drink, they will, uh, with their alcohol drink, they will make a toast likely to something that's not divine. If any of you are so unsanctified that you remember that. In the Lord's Supper, at the end of the meal, the dessert was the cup. It was the blood of Jesus, the sweetest of all things. And so we obviously can't like stop right now and lay out the spread. We don't even have the facility anymore. We, we couldn't have a, an entire church. We don't have a room big enough. Praise God. What a, what a joy that our church is bigger than our building. Amen. That means the church ain't the building. You're the church. If we were doing it, New Covenant, New Testament, First Church, we would all have a meal right now. And we would celebrate what the Lord has done for us. We can't do that. So we've, we've made a, uh, I don't want to say a compromise, but we've done something that we can do and still maintain the integrity of what we're trying to accomplish in today's time together. And that's why you got the mini cup and a piece of cracker. But just so you know, this is only a modern thing. This was not a, if you, if you were a 
if you were in 100 AD as a Christian and you like froze in time and then you unfroze in Lena, Illinois at Beloved Church and you say, hey, we're going to do communion together, you'd be lost. We're going to what, what? Because communion was them doing common unity together. Communion. Commonly unifying together. And it would have been a meal and it would have been it would have been laughs, and it would have been tears, and it would have been ministry, and it would have been anointing, it would have been grace, it would have been all these things going on. And we do that regularly here at Beloved Church. We call it kononia. That's what the Bible calls it. That's what we call it, kononia. And I want to invite you to make sure that you participate in all of those kononia events as you possibly can, because that's the real Lord's Supper. That's the real table of God. This is us honoring what he gave us, but we're not necessarily doing it visually the way that it would have been done. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church that didn't fully to, uh, understand all of these dynamics because the Corinthian church was mucking up the Lord's Supper too. They were having meals, and what was happening in those meals was that the rich folks were given preferential treatment, and so they were able to eat and sometimes consume all of the food, and then the poorer, the less valuable people in the congregation, I know none of you have ever experienced that in any church, the less valuable people would then go away hungry. And it really honestly should have been reversed. It should have been the poor first. That's the way the Lord built the kingdom. The the least in the kingdom of God is the greatest. The first shall be last, the last shall be first. And so they had a bunch of uh, humanity. They had a bunch of, of even at that point, progressive ways of thinking. We'll, we'll honor the rich first and we'll give them the best and then all of the losers can come last and clean up. And what happened was is that the rich would eventually get drunk and the poor would then be hungry and without a cup, and so then there would break into fights. And sometimes they would actually get into fistfights at the Corinthian church over communion. And I know all of y'all are thinking like, wow, how carnal can a Christian be? You might wanna just pack that away. Because I don't wanna give you examples of modern similarities especially at Beloved Church. And so Paul seen it necessary. Paul's a good preacher. And so Paul seen it necessary to bring pretty dynamic correction and rebuke. If I walked in on communion Sunday and half y'all were drunk and you guys were in a fist fight, you're going to thank God that you go to a church with a pastor that understands the fact that I'm supposed to be rebuking and correcting when it's necessary. Yep. Amen. It's amazing how much people don't like correction, don't like rebuke, don't like anybody getting in their P's and Q's or sandbox until someone's doing them wrong and they want someone to come in and fix it. Amen. <laughs> yeah. And so he thought it important, valuable, to teach them again, leaders are repeaters, to teach them again what the importance was of this, this time together, the communion, specifically the bread and the wine. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also 
passed on to you. It's one of my favorite verses to prove the doctrine. You cannot give away what you don't have. Amen. Healed people give away healing. Sick people pass the bug. Amen. All right. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This fellowship that we're having together, I want to remind you, is in remembrance of Jesus. <laughs> don't, don't turn this into something else. Man, I really need to get healed. And I know communion is part of being healed. So this is going to be my time for healing. Okay, I'm not saying it's wrong for you to have faith that you're going to be healed. But don't keep the main thing the main thing. This is about Jesus. Jesus is the healer. I learned to, Kay and I learned a truth together, a simple truth when we were super young and stupid in the Lord. We're less stupid now. That it's a whole lot better to seek the Lord's hands instead of seeking his wallet. To seek the Lord's heart instead of seeking his benefits. To seek the Lord's face instead of trying to seek the Lord's blessings. If you get the Lord's heart, his wallet comes with it. His healing comes with it. His joy comes with it. But if you just seek his wallet, I mean, I'm not saying that he won't bless you, but I'm a father, and I can tell you if my, all my kids wanted was my money, it would make it really difficult for me to be gracious and merciful and loving with them. And there's a lot of people that want God to be uh, Dennis Prager says it this way. They want God to be their divine butler. God, I have these needs. That's your job. Provide my needs. I don't, I don't want anybody in here to have that. This is about Jesus. He's worthy of it. In the same way, after supper, notice after supper, he took the cup saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant. The bread is his body. The cup is the new covenant. That's going to be important that you remember that in a minute. This, is, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Covenant language. Covenant, covenant, covenant. Do this. As often as you drink it in remembrance of me. I want to remind you, Jesus is not a narcissist. He doesn't need all of us thinking about him. And then it, it fuels his insecurities and, and his, uh, he, needs, he needs all of our attention. You know, like some five-year-old brat running around making everybody look at him. No, Jesus is absolutely secure. He doesn't need your attention for him. He needs your attention for you. What you look at, you become. If you look at this world and this world's ways, you will become the world. The world is sick, y'all. 
like in every way you can, you can describe or define sick, the world's got it in spades. You look at that, they will tell you that we are currently in the flu season. Did you know that? Amen. You thought it was the holiday season. <laughs> you sillies. No, it's the CDC flu season. Hallmark will tell you. You can buy a card for it. Hey, welcome to flu season. God bless you. Hope you don't die. You know, it's not actually flu season. Like, can I explain something to you real quick and then we'll move on? This season tends to have more sickness in it because of some pretty physical things. One, this season starts with Halloween. What happens on Halloween? You put as much poison into your body that you could literally hold down. And some of you not, can't even hold it down because you puke it out. And you've been doing this since you were a child. You've been jammed full of sugar, which is a poison. Sugar is a poison. You can look it up. You've been jammed full of sugar, and you got so much on Halloween that you did two or three weeks of it because, right? You, you couldn't do it all in one night because your parents don't eat all that candy in one night. Fine, I'll eat it in 10 nights. And so now you've spread out your poison over 10 days. And then right after that, we're going to have probably pre-Thanksgiving, right, where you have five desserts. I mean four because you guys are awesome. You eat too much, you eat bad stuff, and then you come home with the leftovers, and then you go to real Thanksgiving, and now you can eat seven desserts because you cut back to four on pre-Thanksgiving, and then we go right into the holiday seasons, which is filled with what? Candy canes, and, and all, yeah, all Christmas cookies, whatever, name it. You know, you, if you think about it, your poison intake between Halloween and January 1 is probably equal to your entire year's poison intake, if you're a normal person. Is it, do you think it's shocking that that just happens to be the time that everybody gets sick? You add to it family stress. You add to it loss of sleep because you've got to do all the other stuff that goes with it. You add to it the fact that our days are shorter and darker. So you, it are also colder here in the Midwest. And so you don't go outside and get vitamin D on your face. You're feeling terrible about all the extra poison that you put in your body. So you're not doing the physical activities that you once did. If I was the devil, you know what I would do? I would promote the holidays as often as possible to make you sick and then call it flu season and then give you a shot of extra poison in your arm and give it to you for free because your insurance covers it. My mom got one flu shot all the years that she was in the medical field and the one flu shot that they mandated for her to get, she'd never even had the flu, mandated for her to get one, gave her the flu so bad, like she literally needed medical attention because she got the flu so bad it almost killed her. And then her doctor went to war for, on her behalf, said she will never get another flu shot, but we don't even have those kind of doctors anymore. 
that doctor's passed away and he was a great guy. We, we've lost those kind of doctors. You add all this together, we don't have a flu season, we have an on-purpose double-make-you-sick season. And Christians play right along. I, sorry to be that guy to just tell you the truth and be all natural about stuff, but we need to be able to war on both ends. Yes, it is the stripes of Jesus that make you healed. 1 Peter 2.24, Matthew 8.17, Isaiah 53.4 and 5. Isaiah 53 says, by his stripes you are healed. Matthew 8.17, after Jesus healed a bunch of folks, the scriptures literally say that he himself bore our sicknesses and carried our diseases as the prophet foretold. Pointing back to Isaiah 53.4 and 5. And then Peter comes along post-resurrection, post-ascension, and Peter says, hey, don't you know, by his stripes you were healed. He changed the Bible. Ooh, you're not supposed to do that, are you? The Holy Spirit can tell you exactly what the Bible says. And Peter was following the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit says you were healed. So everything focused on the cross, everything focused on what Jesus Christ has done for us. So healing in the past was looking forward to Jesus' atonement. Healing after the ascension of Jesus looks back at the atonement of Jesus. Everything happened there. Everything you need happens with Jesus. He's the center of our theology. He's the center of our doctrines. He's the center of our life, and he should be in the center of our heart. As often as you drink it, you do it in remembrance of me. We're going to remember Jesus. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What a weird verse. You're going to eat a cracker and proclaim Jesus is dead. <laughs> I, I didn't write it. What, what, what does that mean? I want you to really get, when you're, when you're reading the scriptures, I made a mistake last week, so I need to fix it. My, all my, my cool kid friends, staff, people said, hey, you know, you said last week, don't read the Bible in a year. I said, uh-uh, and they said, ah, you kind of did. So I'm going to fix it. <laughs> read the Bible. Amen. Read the Bible twice in a year. Amen. 15 times in a year. I don't give a rip. All I'm saying is don't just read the Bible. Study the Bible. So, yeah, read the Bible in a year, but make sure you're doing equal as much study of the Scriptures as you are reading. Because reading is reading. Studying is studying. But you can't study what you don't read. One of the reasons that I can, I can do way more study than reading is because I've read the Bible 20, 30, 40, I don't even know, and, and umpteen translations. And so I've got, I've got tons of stuff in my heart, so I can unpack it, and the Holy Spirit can point towards stuff, because he's going to bring to your remembrance all those things that Jesus has said, and if you have never read what Jesus has said, then the Holy Spirit can't bring it to your remembrance, and then you're without ammunition when you're standing in front of your enemy. There ain't nothing worse than that, pointing an unloaded gun at someone that's trying to take something from you. And so I've put it in my life, my heart, my mind for, for years and years and years and years and years. So then the Holy Spirit can use it to unpack it. And I can, I can be walking around the yard doing yard work 
and literally have the Holy Spirit preaching a sermon to me with a bunch of, of scripture references because they're all in there. But if that's not you, if you haven't done the time, if you haven't done the work to get the, the scriptures in your heart, then read. Read, read, read. But don't just read. Study. Because it's a person. If all I did was read Kay, we would not have an intimate marriage. I study her when she's not looking <laughs> from behind. Verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, stop looking around. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You're proclaiming the Lord's death. The end of the atonement. His death was the end of the atonement. Everything in the atonement ended with his death. And his death included going to hell for you on our behalf. You can't beat hell. The Bible says you get the keys of death, hell, and the grave. You can't get the keys of hell without going there and taking them. It's not like the devil showed up at the cross. Well, here you go. I, you know, you did the cross. Take the keys. He, he went and got them by conquest. Our king is a rightful king. He earned it. We get to call him king of kings and lord of lords because he did it. You're proclaiming that atoning process every time you take the cup and you eat the bread. You're proclaiming him and you're doing it physically. This is important. The idea of God being physical was nowhere. Nowhere. You will not find anything in 6,000 years of human history pre-cross, pre-Christ, you will not find anything that makes any kind of divine activity or a deity anywhere even close to the lowliness of flesh. This is important because our God met us where we're at. Your body is very important to Jesus. So important, he got one. So for you to devalue your body, and you can take that statement a ton of directions. Participating in the poisoning season of the holidays, not taking care of your temple, which the scriptures are really clear on. You know, today it's really, uh, it's become very popular to be husky. You can't, you can't say fat, remember. That's, that's not allowed, especially at church. I even still get in trouble for it, and I defined what I mean by saying fat, fat. But we've, we have made it so important now that on the cover of magazines, they are on purpose trying to find the largest people that they can put on there. 
There's, there, you're not allowed to say anything about somebody misusing their temple. The, the, one of the quickest ways that a young person can get as popular as possible in school today, be a very, very obese transgender person. You'll be the most popular kid in school. They'll, they'll make you prom king queen, whatever the thing is now. You think I'm kidding? Because we do not value this the way Jesus values this. Would put poisons into it. We get addictions that we know. Nobody's ever had an addiction that they don't know is doing damage to their physical body. And what they basically say is, my body, and do what I want to with it. So it's not the Lord's. Amen. You know, I can say that to Kay. It's my body, I do what I want. I'm going to find me another girl. Why is that not okay? Is it mine or not? If I'm in covenant with her, it's not. I gave it to her. She has every right to walk into my office and say, you better do those burpees with better form. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> we don't try around here. We do. Don't you know? She can preach my sermons to me. She doesn't do that because she's super gracious, but she has every right. She can tell me what I can eat, what I can't eat. She can tell me when to go to bed and not go to bed. She can. She doesn't, but she can. Because I gave this to her. In our vows, I said, this is yours. With all its glory. <laughs> She's like, thanks, what do I get? And then I said, and that's mine. That's right. I, sometimes in a covenant, one side gets the better half. I, I get it. You know, you came to Jesus. You get Jesus. Yay! He gets you. Okay. <laughs> so in the covenant of Steve and Kay, she gets Kay. Yay! Or she gets Steve. Yay! I get Kay. Yay! But it's, this is hers by covenant. And also in the new covenant, this is his. I don't get to do with this whatever I want. I used to, and then I got into covenant. Before I was in covenant with the Lord, I could put, I could put alcohol in this. I could put this thing in bed with tons of people. I could, I could uh, do damage to it on purpose, mentally, physically, sinfully. I could do anything I wanted to because I was American. I'm free. And it started to catch up. I used to be so free on Sundays, I would have to lay in bed until 11 o'clock and nurse my pains from the night before. Now I'm so free that I'm here at 4.30 in the morning nursing the, the anointing of God for you guys. Thank God I'm less free than I used to be in the way that the world defines freedom. Jesus cares about your body so much he got one. And I'll tell you that he took care of it. So if you want to be like Jesus, take care of it. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That's heavy. 
Most people don't think it's really real. Like, it's whatever. It's just one of those verses in the Bible. I think it's real. I, I don't think that the Lord was wasting breath when he put that in there. I don't. The difference between having Jesus as Lord versus just having Jesus as Savior is when he's just Savior, you can do what you want to do. And he's going to save you. Because that's what he does. That's his job. My job is to mess everything up and his job is to fly in and save me. But when you have Jesus as Lord, Lord means Lord. Means in charge. Large and in charge. Boss. Each one must examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. I'm asking you to examine yourself. Verse 29 specifically says, anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body eats and drinks judgment on himself recognizing the body. What is the body? If you're looking at all the context that's going on here, the body is doing this really unique thing. Paul did this incredible thing where he tied in a bunch of concepts into one word. He created a hyperlink. What's the body? Well, it's Jesus's for sure because he told us Remember with this bread that this is my body and remember with this cup that this is my covenant with me. This is my blood. And so the body is talking about the body of Jesus. But also if you're following this, the body is your body because you're examining yourself. But also the body is this. If you're sitting in a purple chair, you're part of the body of beloved, which is a local body of Christ. I'm, an, I'm a pinky toe. You're an elbow. Ryan's the mouth. Amen? I just came out. Got a great mouth. This is, this is a body. We are a body together. So you're examining all these things. You're examining the Lord's body, the body of Jesus. You're examining your body because Jesus took a body to die for your body. And you're examining this body. Where are you at with all those things? Well, me and Jesus are tight. He's my best friend. I'm his best friend. Okay, how are you with your neighbor? Hate him. Hate him. Your purple chair neighbor. Yep, me and Jesus are good. Okay, you're going to be sick. You're, you're going to bring judgment on yourself. If you are not okay with your local body together, you're not going to be okay with the body of Jesus. Because the body of Jesus died for your neighbor that you're hating. <laughs> if you... 
I need you to get this. These things are inextricably linked together and we like to compartmentalize things. Okay, healing Sunday. Now we're doing healing. So tell me all the healing stuff so I can get me a little dose of healing. I'm gonna go back off into my carnal life. Don't work that way. All these things work together. No prosperity of the soul. No flowing into the prosperity of your finances, the prosperity of your health, the prosperity of your mind, the prosperity of your emotions. None of these things flow together. If you've got one thing in there, Let's say your entire car is brand new and perfect, and all you're missing is the key. How are you getting here today? With an Uber. Because the car's worthless. And we, we do this in Christianity where we slice off and we think, well, this is okay over here. I know this is kind of mucked up, but I'm just going to leave that mucked up and I'm going to concentrate over here. No, the Lord wants all these things healthy and whole. Be whole means whole. <laughs> these three bodies are our focus. And it was so important that Jesus took a body to make sure that we knew that God becoming flesh was so important that he, I won't say broke the rules or bend the rules, that he created divine ways to do the rules. A virgin getting pregnant. God becoming man. God dying. These are not the rules normally followed for divine activity. A sermon you probably have never heard, unless you've been here for any length of time, is a message about the incarnation. We forget about this. We're going into the Christmas season, and in the Christmas season, we celebrate the birth of Jesus. And I get it, we got songs and Christmas presents and all the other silly stuff. But what about the important part that Jesus, God, was born? Incarnation refers to the manifestation of the second person of the Godhead in human flesh as the promised Messiah, yet without diminishing his deity. Wait, what? How can he be deity and humanity? Yep. So what can you be? I'm only human. I'm just flesh and body. Okay. FYI on the inside of you is the same spirit of Christ Amen. that Christ had bringing you into this new realm this new way this new and living way new and living way of you're a body but there's also something divine on the inside of you how does that work it works through you combining that born-again experience with the reminder of the bread and the cup. You're reminding yourself that the flesh that you have 
and the divinity that God has came together in the person of Jesus Christ. And so now we are called to live that very way. So when you take his body and you drink his blood, you are reminding yourself that there's divine and human all at the same time. Human neighbor next to you, human your physical body, and human Jesus' body. And so we're going to do this together. And I want you to remind yourself of the incarnation of Jesus Christ that he came and became flesh for your flesh. And he came and gave his blood to rewrite your DNA because your DNA was not salvageable. And so he had to give you his. And so if the ushers would please, they're going to give you a cracker and a little cut. After, after saying that that wasn't the most awesome thing, we're going to do it that way. But I want, you to I want you to understand that this is a representation of the real. Just like water baptism doesn't do anything for you except make you wet. But it is a representation of the fact that you have been on an exodus. You were once in slavery with Egypt to Pharaoh, Satan in the world, Pharaoh and Egypt, Satan in the world, and then you went through the Red Sea, the born-again experience, the waters that killed the devil, Pharaoh, and brought you out on the other side so you were ready, you were fit for sacred space to go into the promised land. That's exactly what happened at the waters of the Red Sea. That's why we do water baptism, because it represents the fact that you've passed through the waters of salvation, and now you are fit for sacred space and ready to go to the promised land. Physically, what it does is make you wet. So what you have here is a cracker and juice. But what this represents, if you examine yourself, if you examine your body, if you examine where you're at, then what this can be is way more than juice and way more than a cracker. This can be an exodus moment you can pass through. Just being human only, just being flesh only, and receive the benefits for your body, for your fellowship with the body, the beloved body, your fellowship with the universal body of Christ, and also your fellowship with Jesus himself and his body. The God that humbled himself so much in his love for you that God took on flesh, the incarnation, a unique and completely supernatural experience that you get to participate with in this moment. And so I want you to... I want you to recognize that this is not just some, some thing that we do, some mechanical thing. You can have Healing Sunday right now with a cracker and a cup of juice, even before I get to the real healing message. 
or you can wait, and it can be a cracker in a cup. And obviously, both have happened. If Paul had to write to the Corinthian church about it just being a cracker in a cup and people getting drunk and getting into a fight, that means some people can misuse or abuse and lose the benefit of communion. But then also, I'll guarantee you, those 11 disciples that sat in that room with Jesus the night that he was crucified, I'll guarantee you, that bread and that cup in that room meant something more than it meant to the Corinthian church that needed to be corrected. And every one of those 11 men were martyred later for their beliefs. And they couldn't even kill John. The apostle John, they couldn't even kill him. They tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't boil. So they finally sent him to, Bat to the Isle of Patmos, tried to get rid of him, sent him off to a, to a deserted prison island and while he's there, he decides to write the book of Revelation. Ha-ha! Take that. You can't keep a good man down. <clears throat> so if you have your bread, your cracker, I want you to remind yourself that your God loved you so much that he took on flesh. And this is a reminder of him sacrificing that flesh for you. His death was for you so you could have his life. If you're grateful for him being broken for you and break your cracker and let his body become part of your body now. Take and eat. And at the end, for the dessert of the meal, the, the grand finale of that fellowship of him and his intimate friends, his covenant partners, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. This is how committed he is to the covenant that he has with you. Every time I take this cup, I'm reminded that his commitment to our covenant is way bigger than mine. And I want to get my commitment to his commitment level. So if you're willing to increase your commitment level to the covenant that was in his blood, then take the cup. Jesus, we are reminded of you and what you've done for us. We are grateful for your body, your incarnation, and your blood that makes us righteous and truly holy. We accept all the benefits of what you have atoned for us to receive. We receive this in submission with gratitude. In the name of Jesus, amen. And so for this part of our service, this is going to be some unique teaching. I've never taught along these lines before, preached along these lines before, so you're going to have some, and I've never heard anybody else preach it. I'm not saying nobody, ever, nobody else has ever done it, 
I'm just saying I've never heard it. So I think this is, I'm not saying new revelation because there's nothing new under the sun. Any revelation that any preacher ever gets is from Jesus. That's just why I get irritated when some preacher's like, I got this new message and, you know, pay me $19.95 a month and you can get access to this cool new message system. And, and I'm like, you got it from Jesus. And he's not your prostitute. So please stop it. Does it take money to do ministry? Yes. Do we prostitute the things of God? No. Anything that you have been given by the Lord, you've received freely. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8 says, As you've freely received, freely give. And then he reminds you of some of the things you should freely give. Heal the sick, cleanse the leper, cast out demons, raise the dead. Those are some of the things that you should have freely received. If you haven't freely received any uh, devils being cast out of you, hang out. We'll cast some devils out later. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 through 12, says that he has saved us. If you are taking paper notes or if you have some digital device that you're affectionately addicted to that you're using for your Bible, somehow Mark saved it's going to be important. We're going to come back to it. He has saved us. Notice that's past tense. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling. You've been called to a holy calling. Your purposes in life, here and in your next expression of life, are holy. Holy means set apart. Holy means for divine use. God has made you, specifically built you, for divine use. So anytime we lower ourselves to being used by the world or used by other people, we have reduced our divine calling into another calling. You are not for sale. I'm going to say it again. You are not for sale. You are for sacred use in sacred space. That's your calling. The next statement says, not because of our works. This is going to become very important very soon. I'm going to remind you that Ephesians chapter 2, some of, the, some of the most transformative scriptures that have ever been used in all of New Testament theology. A lot of the Protestant movement was birthed on the back of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. The, one of the reasons you're sitting here is be some, because some crazies stood up to the religious system, like Martin Luther, with his 95 thesis being nailed on the door of the Wittenberg church. He says, you know what? We're not playing religious games anymore. You need to explain all these practices that you're doing, or otherwise we're out. And, and we were called the protesters, Protestants. You're a Protestant Christian. You're either Roman Catholic or you're Protestant. We're Protestant. We protested all the religious activity 
that the church said was the only way you could get there. And that was birthed by Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. And Ephesians 2 says, for you have been saved by grace. It's by grace that you've been saved through faith. Grace and faith working together. And it says, and that not of yourselves. What that means is you didn't work for it. You didn't earn it. You didn't merit it. You didn't deserve it. This is incredibly important. We're having Healing Sunday, beloved. Has anybody been so righteous and so holy the last two weeks that you can confidently know that you're walking in here based upon your own merit and you deserve for God to heal you? Now, we fall into this a lot because what we'll do is we're like, but God, you know, I've been tithing pretty good. Right? I haven't cussed in like four days. Right? I had one dessert instead of seven, like Pastor Steve said. It was a big one. I, I didn't get mad at my wife outside. About half my thoughts have been clean. God. I mean, if anybody's going to get something on Healing Sunday at Beloved Church, like, I mean... I got to be, you know, top 10%. Now, I know none of you would think it that carnally, but you, we do this all the time. God, I've been doing pretty good. Like, it, things should be really rocking for me right now. Oh, I've been really terrible. I get it. The devil should be tearing me up. We, we do this all the time. We have a performance-based spirituality. <laughs> Amen. And when you preach on the authentic grace of God, the first thing it's going to affect is that part of our brain that says, do good, get good, do bad, get bad. You've been trained this from the day you were born. When your parents were potty training you, those of you that got that far, they, they said you need to go poo-poo in the potty. And when you went poo-poo in the potty, you got a sticker and a cookie, and everybody sang you a song, the poopy song. And when you went poopy in your pants, you got your sticker taken away, nobody sang you a song, and you got chastised for pooping in your pants. You learned at this old that you do good, you get good, you do bad, you get bad. Amen. And then you come into Christianity, and you got some crazy preacher telling you, no, the only reason you get good in Christianity is because God's good. And now, because God's good, be good. Well, why should I be good? If, I, if I'm not going to get good from being good, why should I be good? Because that's what you were created to be. That's your nature. Apple trees make apples. You used to be a banana tree. I've seen some of you. Now you're an apple tree. Apple trees make apples. It's just normal. It's your nature. It's your nature to be righteous. It's your nature to be good. It's your nature to be holy, set apart for God's use. It's your nature to be obedient. It's your nature to be submitted. It's your nature to be that way. That's who you really are. That's why when you're not that way, there's this thing on the inside of you that's like, Ugh, 
I feel yucky. Yeah, because you were doing something you weren't created to do. You were trying to jam that round peg into that square hole that you used to live in. But you don't do good and God's like, woohoo, we're going to do extra for them because they've been really awesome this week. You get a prize. Don't work that way. God rewards faith. Hebrews 11.6 says that the only way to be rewarded by God, when you come to him, you must believe that he is and he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. That's faith. That's what he rewards. Which faith is trust. When The more you trust in him, the more reward there is for that. It's not like God doling out rewards, like you're super truster, and so here you go, you get an extra portion. No, the more you trust him, the more his goodness shows up in your life. What we live in is in the grace of God. You cannot earn it. You don't ever deserve it. You can't do anything to get more of it. You can't do anything to get less of it. That's just how grace works. That is how grace works. It is not by your works. It's by his works. Now you can frustrate the grace of God. You can live so stupid that grace can't find a way in. That'd be frustrating for me too. I mean, I know because I shepherd some of you. I can't even find a way in, let alone God. I get it. It's frustrating. It is legitimately frustrating for me to shepherd people that don't let me in. How do you shepherd a sheep that don't let you shepherd them? You don't. You just pray that the wolf don't eat them or don't take a, a, a mortal chunk off of them. It it's the same thing with the grace of God. You can frustrate the grace of God. You can unposition yourself for his free, unmerited grace, empowerment to flow into your life. He has saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works. I've, I've never had someone come to salvation and I say, hey, did you, did you expect this moment? Were you... Did you walk in here knowing that you deserve to be saved today? <laughs> you, were, you were tithing, living holy, praying all day, fasting, studying the scriptures for six, seven, eight, nine weeks in a row. And then you're like, all right, now I'm ready to get saved. And then you went and showed up to a church and responded to it. No, you were a messed up, I'm being gentle. You were messed up. You were messed up. I was messed up. You were in sin. I was in sin. You were broken. I was broken. We were all, we all come into the, we all come to the cross at the exact same place. Needful of salvation, undeserved of salvation. You can only get there one way, not by your works. But by his own purpose, and by the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus. That's going to be important momentarily. By the grace he granted us in Christ Jesus. He granted it. You didn't deserve it. It wasn't your works. 
It wasn't because you're the prettiest of all his kids and he decided to give you something special. He granted it to you by Christ Jesus. This is why it's important to keep Jesus as the center of your focus, as the center of what you fix your eyes on and fix your heart on. You, you're not getting it by you looking in the mirror. You're getting it by you looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith. Verse 10, and now he has revealed this grace through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has abolished Man, what a cool word. Abolished. That word's like, that's like a good fighting word right there. This wasn't Jesus playing tiddlywinks with the devil like, hey, can I get some people from you? He abolished death. <laughs> if you're taking notes, if you're in a paper Bible, underline that. We're going to come back to that too. He abolished death and illuminated the way, definite article V, not indefinite article A. It's not a way. There's not many ways. There's the way. This is Jesus, John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, the life, which means without him, you don't get any of it. One, one way. There's only one way to have life, and that's through him. Well, I ain't born again. I ain't no Christian. I got life. Yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> you fooled yourself. You're an actor on a stage. You think you have life. It ain't actual life. And illuminated the way to life and conjunction immortality through the gospel. There's another fun word. You're an immortal. <laughs> Some of you are like, I don't feel like it. Okay. We can go with your feelings or we can go with these words. These words were here way before you showed up and they're going to be way here way after you show up. I am telling you, you are an immortal. To the degree that you believe that, you're going to have expression of that in your life. In your body. In your relationships. That's why I talk about covenant relationships all the time. Covenant relationships aren't relationships that you just have for a minute. I'm in covenant with this woman and now I'm done. Now I'm in covenant with this woman and now I'm done. Now I'm in covenant with this woman and now I'm done. That's not covenant. The people I'm in covenant with, I'll guarantee you, a million and 72 years from now, we're going to hang out and do stuff and things. Amen. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't even know where. We could be on another galaxy. There's, there's plenty of them out there. God wants us to fix the universe. So he'll assign me a galaxy. Or three or seven, depending on how faithful I am. That's how Jesus said. You get cities, and I don't think they're cities. I think they're galaxies. But, you know, whatever. We can talk about eschatology later. That immortality attached to covenant and attached to the new covenant is something that we have through the grace of God because of the good news, the gospel. 
When will you get it? When do you have eternal life? This verse started off with, and now. Now is important. You know what now means in the Greek? Verse 11 says, to which I was appointed as a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. You know, if Paul gets to be all three of these, I get to be three things. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Let's move on. Verse 12, for this reason, even though I suffer as I do, yeah, everybody wants to be the three things, the preacher, the apostle, the teacher, and then the next one, and I suffer. Uh, yeah, you'd suffer a lot if you're a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. Trust me, I'm just a preacher. I suffer a ton. For this reason, even though I suffer as I do, I'm not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed. Your shame revolves on that principle. The more shame you have, the less you believe in him. Man, I hope you put that in your heart and don't ever let it go. Shame is exactly equivalent to how much you believe in Jesus and what he's done in your life. The more shameful a person is, the less they believe of what, in what Jesus has done for them. Because when you really, truly understand what Jesus has done, you will see your value as priceless. And you cannot shame something priceless. I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able. Who's able? Not you. He is able to guard what you've entrusted to him. Notice, notice the communion. Notice the fellowship. He's able to guard until the finalization of it of whatever you give to him. He's able to keep my marriage immortal if I give him my marriage. But if I take my marriage and I'm going to do it by the super cool philosophical principles of this world and I'm going to learn good female psychology. That was like, that was like an oxymoron right there. Female psychology. It is like flipping a coin. Never mind. I need to. If I give my marriage to him. Yeah, all the women are like, who you're that close. <laughs> if I give my marriage to him, he's able to keep it. If I take it, it's going to be as strong as my power. If you, anybody in here knows Steve Castle, you know that ain't going to get you very far. Amen. With a gallon of gas and with the power of Steve Castle, you can mow a lawn. That, that's what you get. Now, with the power of Christ, all things are possible. All things are possible. Kay and I will love each other more every single day for the rest of our lives if, it, if this is the marriage that we've given to him for him to do it the way that he wants to. But if we're going to do it the way we want to, or if I'm going to do it the way I want to, if I'm going to do my finances the way I want to, blah, 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 shut up, Pastor Bob, I don't want to be given right now, 
You know, God doesn't need money. He's in heaven. What's he need with my money? I got bills to pay. I got really important things I got to do. I, I'm, not do I'm not participating with all that whole financial system. Okay. Well, then your finances are going to be yours. You're going to keep them. They're yours. Good luck. The devil's been stealing from people for 6,000 years. And tens of billions of people. And he's never lost yet. And God bless you. You're going to figure it out. Good luck. Hope it works out for you. And when you keep it, that is you saying, I got this. I got this. That, that's cool saying today, right? That's how we roll today. I got this. I can handle it. Okay. You get it. Let me know how that works out. I don't know anybody, not one person, and I've been doing this my whole life, 48, almost more years, and I don't know a single person that does their finances the way they want to do it, and they have God's blessing in their life. Not one. It doesn't work. Now, you can do your finances the way you want to do it in the world, and the enemy will reward you well. He'll give you jobs. He'll give you promotions. He'll make you CEO of Disney. And then you can put wicked things and cartoons and, and help people become more like you. In the kingdom, it starts with God so loved that he gave. That's where it started. Your gospel started with God so loved that he gave. You're not going to live some other gospel. That's the gospel. He's able to guard what you've entrusted to him. How about emotions? God, I'll take care of my emotions. I'll guard these suckers really well. <laughs> Amen. You know, I could probably get in your sandbox for about 14 milliseconds, and I can get your emotions untrusted by you. I'm good at it. I'm a professional. I've been making people mad for years. <laughs> I got proof. You, you running your emotions are going to only get you as far as your strength. How about self? I'm self-controlled. I'm going to control self. Really? You're going to control self. You're going to be the first human in history that's ever actually controlled self. Because self is the whole engine that gets you into the muck and the mire of what this world wants to do to you. The only way to control self is by the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 6, that says that one of the manifestations of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So if the Spirit is not giving you the ability to control self, then you're on your own. And if you're on your own, I can give you some people that will tell you. I can give you phone numbers and names of people that will tell you, hey, guess what? You can't control self. You can be the most disciplined person in the world, and self's going to get you. Because self never sleeps, never slumbers. It's going to get you. 
He is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. Back up in verse 9, I told you to remember the word saved. We've covered this, and so I'm going to do this really fast in Jesus' name. This is from the word, the Greek word sozo. And you've, this is one of those Greek words that most of you have heard. Sozo is the word for saved in the Bible. Whenever you see the word saved, that's the word sozo. Salvation is the same thing. It's a derivative of the word saved. Savior, Jesus being the Savior, is a derivative of the word saved. It's soter, which is the Savior, the one that brings sozo to you. Every Every word in the New Testament that revolves around save, salvation, savior, all of these come from the derivative, from the, from the root word of saved, which is sozo. The definition is to save, to keep safe and sound, to rescue from danger or destruction. Hallelujah. That's exactly what happened. You know, to be saved doesn't mean you are now born again going to heaven. That's just a modern way that we're trying to express something that we have. That's not actually biblical. Biblically, you were saved from the kingdom of darkness and translated into the kingdom of his dear son. That's Colossians 1.17. That's saved. You were taken from a kingdom. You were rescued out of a kingdom, darkness, sickness, pain, poverty, oppression, depression. That kingdom, you were rescued out and you were placed into the kingdom of his, the son of his love. In a glorious kingdom. With a king, that's saved. A, to save one from injury or peril. Means to save a suffering one from perishing. One suffering from disease. (gasps) Wait, what? You know, if you're in sickness or disease, you know what you want to be? Rescued. Amen? Amen. Amen. You, you know, ever been like so sick that you're in bed and you're just like, ah, I'll kill myself to make it go away. Why? Because... <laughs> Maybe you were there last night. What? I went, I went, I don't have time for stories, so I'll make this fast. I went like, 14 years, 15 years without throwing up. Like, that's good, right? I, I can't say in 20 years that I've anything last maybe over 72 hours in my body. There's been things that I've had to fight for longer than that. I'm talking about stuff that comes on me. You know, that the aging process and things that go on in your body, like those are an ongoing fight for the rest of your life. But like something came on me. I, I can't remember in probably 20 years, something longer than 72 hours. And I was in, this is in the pandemic, man, I need to be careful about telling this story. I was in a foreign country, that's how I'll do it. I was in the pandemic in a foreign country, and I barely, like, skated under the, the vax mandates and all the stuff that was going on at that time so I could go preach the gospel. I was, like, this close to, like, smuggling myself into China, like, smuggling Bibles. And I'm in a foreign country in a foreign airport. And it's a long story. Things got all jacked up, and so I was late, and the guy that was taking me to the airport had to drive four hours, and this dude drove like 120 miles an hour in a third-world nation. 
I ain't never prayed in tongues so hard in my whole life. I was praying in tongues faster than his gas pedals. I think we literally like passed through objects in the spirit. Got to the airport. Literally, they were holding the plane. I like ran in and they put me in and we flew. And while I, we were in the air, I was like, ugh. And this was an ugh that I was not familiar with because I haven't thrown up in 14 years. And I was like, what is this? Tracked it back pretty quickly to the meal that we just scarfed down in this third world nation that was probably not cooked very well. And I'm like, uh-uh, I'm on an airplane. I mean, if I'm gonna break this streak, it definitely ain't gonna be on an airplane. <laughs> So now I'm praying in tongues for another reason. <laughs> praying in tongues, very valuable. It's like a Swiss army knife in the spirit. So I, I prayed myself into the airport, and then I had an eight-hour layover at this airport for the next flight. And I'm in this airport, foreign country, and this was a big airport, and there was like police walking around. This is one of those places where they walk around with M16s and AK-47s and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, man, I'm in a pandemic, and if I'd lose my cookies in here. They're going to put me in some hole somewhere and they're going to force vaccinate me and like, you know, steal my wife and children for ransom. And I'm like, Jesus, Lord, help me. And I was fighting and I was, I was sweating and freezing and you know, the whole thing, all of you have been there. And I'm just like, Lord, take me now. I'll be a martyr right now. Right, I'm already in a foreign country. I'm preaching the gospel like a poor pastor dies preaching the gospel. What happened to him? He choked on his own vomit. I don't know what. <laughs> and I, I fought, and I fought, and I fought, and I was like, all right, I lost. I went in the bathroom. I found the farthest bathroom in the farthest recess of this airport at like 2.30 in the morning. And I felt like I was dying. It was 14 years worth of saved up. <laughs> <laughs> and you've, I'm sure you've all been there. Like when you're at the, at the end of that, you're like, Nothing can feel like your entire body is hurt. You're like in the throes of death. You're watching scenes of your life pass before your eyes in the toilet as it swirls. <laughs> and I remember like, just kill me now. Take me home, Lord. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. Maranatha. I needed rescue. I needed rescue. This wasn't like, oh, you know, I could use a little dash of healing, feel a little better, yep, so I can run a little faster. I needed rescue. I wasn't getting out of that bathroom on the power of Steve Gazzle. And I didn't want to walk out to an AK-47. Hello, sick American. <laughs> We've got something for you. I was rescued. I got my lunch out, flushed it, <laughs> and walked out of that bathroom better. Didn't get arrested. Nobody even knew. I was good. God protected me. He rescued me in my failure, in my flaw. 
Number two here is to preserve one who is in danger of destruction, to save, to rescue. This is all sozo. Same definition of the word that you say all the time. I'm saved. Are you? To save in the technical biblical sense, to deliver from the penalties of the messianic judgment. You know you're delivered from the penalties of judgment? Amen. Jesus took that for you. That's part of saved. When you say saved, I am delivered from judgment. And D, to save from the evils which obstruct the reception of the messianic deliverance. You're even saved from the things that are blocking you from getting saved. What? That's an extra layer of saved. I love that. Now, this is the Greek word for sozo, but it's using the biblical active. Uh, the biblical application of it, 108 times in the ESV version of the Bible, it uses the word saved. 108 times. Now listen to this. 57 of them are about eternal redemption or being rescued or forgiven from sins. You know, to be forgiven from sins is saved. 57 times. So about half of the times are in that connotation. Now that's what we would use as the regular connotation. If I'm saved, that means I'm forgiven of my sins and I'm rescued eternally. I have eternal redemption. That's only half. 18 other times, it's rescue from physical or imminent danger. You know, if you were Peter and you were sinking in the water with Jesus there, he reached out and he saved him physically pulled him out of the water that was going to drown him. That's another usage for the word saved. But here's the one that'll get you. 16 times the actual word saved was for healing, curing, physical wholeness. You know, every time you say the word saved, you say healed. We, Kay and I did this for years. We would actually too, that we learned it from Brother Copeland. Brother Copeland said when he first got saved, he found out that this word meant healed. And so every time he would say saved, he would say saved healed. And me and Kay are like, that'll work. Good enough for Brother Copeland, good enough for us. And so we would do that. When we were brand new Christians, we'd walk around, yeah, we're saved healed. Well, which one are you? Yep. Are you healed or you're saved? Yes. Listen to my words. We're saved healed. We're sozo. When you say sozo, you're saying safety healed, delivered, protected. It's all one big word. Hyperlink. Here's an example. Here's three usages of the word saved. Matthew 9, 21, 22. She said, this is the woman with the issue of blood. She said in herself, if only I touch his cloak, I will be sozo. I know you're seeing healed. But it actually says in the Greek, if I just touch his cloak, I'll be sozo. Jesus turned and saw her, and he said, take courage, daughter. Your faith has sozoed you. <laughs> Shocking. She said, if I just touch his cloak, I'll get sozo. And Jesus said, hey, if you touch me, you'll get sozo. I thought she got healed. Yes. She got healed, which also meant she got delivered from an issue of blood that was uh, 14 years. 
And she also got delivered from all of the all of the pain in that society of being a woman who has an issue of blood, which I'm not going to get into that, but societally, she was a complete outcast. Complete outcast. And she was broke because she gave all of her money to try to get, he to try to get healed. Hey Amen. This should be a good word for a lot of people. You can give all your money and never get healed in the world. With Jesus, you give no money and you get all the healing. That's a way better system. That is my healthcare system, just so you guys know. That's how much I pay for healthcare. I pay zero for healthcare. Okay, and I haven't paid for healthcare in 12 or 14 years. We figured out that that was a scam back in the day, and if you pay for it, I'm not, I'm not picking on you. I'm just saying, we got this revelation. Jesus' healthcare system is a whole ton better than the world's. She paid all of her money and got sicker. So she said to Jesus, she went to Jesus with the idea, with the belief system, if I just touch his cloak, I'll get sozoed. And then she turns to her and she says, take courage, daughter. Your faith has sozoed you. And then the woman was sozoed from that very hour. So she said in herself, if I touch him, I'll get sozo. And then he says, take courage. Here's your sozo. And then she got sozoed. All the same work. Different derivatives of the word sozo. When you say that I'm being saved by God, you're actually saying I'm being healed. Now I told you that we're going to come back to this other word, abolished. Those of you that remember, verse 10, it says, And now he's revealed this grace through the appearing of our Savior Jesus, who has abolished death. Abolished. This is the word that says, eight, I make idle or inactive, make of no effect, annul, abolish, bring to naught, be, I discharge, sever, separate from. It's a compound word from, from kata, which means down to a point, and argio, which means inactive or idle. So it means to bring inactivity all the way down to a final point. Abolished. Can't happen anymore. What did he abolish? Death. Death has been abolished in your life. You know what sickness is? The form of death. Cells dying, white blood cells fighting off viruses and germs and who knows what else this world is trying to spray on you or put on your food or... Dear Lord, I shouldn't even have said it. There is a lot of death that is trying to get into your life, and you have a Savior, a Soter, a Sozoer, who has abolished death for you. Not for him, for you. God didn't need to abolish death for him. The definition of God is you don't die. He abolished it for you. Here's an example. 1 Corinthians 13. Those of you that are good Bible readers, studiers, you know 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter. Well, what's the love chapter got to do with abolishing? Verse 8. Love never fails. Probably top, top five or top ten quoted verses by me. 
say all the time. First Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails. Yeah, but I, uh -uh, love never fails. But I, love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Love never fails. Never. God word. He gets to use it. We don't. Never. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. You know what they will cease is? Abolish. There's going to come a time that prophecies will be abolished. It's not yet. We still prophesy now. In fact, we prophesy every Sunday up in here. And Wednesdays, depending on your grace group. There's a lot of prophecy that happens around here. It's not abolished yet. It will be abolished. Where there are tongues, they will be restrained. <laughs> in my brain, sometimes I'm listening to people. I'm like, boy, Jesus. If anybody needs a restrained tongue, this person. Where there is knowledge, it will be dismissed. You know, it will be dismissed is abolished. There's coming a time that knowledge will be abolished. What does that mean? That means you're going to know all things as you also know. Because you're going to have the mind of Christ unhindered. Until then, you got to use your brain. Nine, for we know in part, we prophesy in part. Ten, but when the perfect comes, the partial is abolished. <laughs> right now, things aren't perfected. When they are perfected, anything that's partial is going to be abolished. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I abolished childish ways. Beloved, part of growing up is abolishing childish ways. Those of you that, are, that regularly throw temper tantrums with your spouse, stop it. You try to manipulate people emotionally, stop it. That's what children do. You try to live your life just so you can get what you want to get, that's childish. Stop it. We put away, we abolish childish things as we grow up. We're adulting now. Both sozo, which is salvation, and, and katargio, which is abolishment, were accomplished through grace. It was the grace of God that brought you sozo. It was the grace of God that brought you the abolishment of death. Healing, which is sozo, is accomplished by grace, not because of our works. That's what those scriptures just said. You're healed, not because of your works. Sickness and disease being abolished were accomplished by grace, not because of your works. Both of them are eternally true because he is able to guard what I've entrusted to him. You entrust this health to him, you get it by grace. Let me give you an example. In the Old Testament, before the cross, there was a Gentile, not even a Jew, a Gentile before the cross. So like a double whammy. Before the cross, who knows if you get saved? Who knows if you get healed? And Gentile, definitely not. So he had two things going against him. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1. Now Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Amram, was a great man in his master's sight and highly regarded. For, though, for through him the Lord had given victory to Amram, Aram. 
and he was a mighty man of valor. The Bible has such a way of putting things in perspective. Spends this whole verse saying how awesome Naaman is, and it says, eh, he's a leper. This, I, I think about this verse a lot when I'm with people and they're giving me their, all of their glories. And I'm like, and you're, that's, that's exactly, and he was a leper. All this great stuff, awesome, you're awesome in every way, and you're a leper. Yeah, that sucks. At that time, the, Arame the Arameans had gone out in, in bands and had taken a young girl from the land of Israel, and she was serving Naaman's wife. She's a slave, a captured slave. I've preached on this young lady. I think she's one of the greatest heroes in the scriptures. What would happen if someone came in and took you from your family, probably murdered your family, maybe even abused you, maybe even abused you in ways that we're not allowed to talk about on YouTube right now? What would your attitude be? Let's see what her attitude was. She said to her mistress, verse 3, if only my master would go to the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. What a heart that I wished Christians would even consider as an opportunity. She cared more about her master. She embraced the fact that she was in this situation of life and decided to show the character of God in no matter how jacked up a situation she found herself in. And Naaman went and told his master what the girl from the land of Israel had said, verse 5, Go now, said the king of Aram, Aram, I will send you with a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman departed, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten sets of clothing. You know, it's amazing that in, in the Old Testament, a Gentile, non-Christian guy was going to go meet the man of God, and he thought it important to take an offering. I don't know, you can think about that later. Nobody likes to hear about money. Verse 6, in the letter that he took to the king of Israel stated, With this letter I'm sending you my servant Naaman, who you may cure him, so that you may cure him of his leprosy. Imagine getting that letter. Uh, I'm, I'm supposed to what? What, what? When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he asked, Am I God? Killing and giving life that this man expects me to cure a leper? Surely you can see that he's seeking a quarrel with me. This would be authentic. Like this guy sends his general for you to heal. You can't heal people. And so he's like, oh, he's just trying to pick a fight. That's exactly what the king of Israel thought. Verse 8, now when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he said, <laughs> quit whining. He sent a message to the king. Why have you torn your clothes? Please let the man come to me, and he will know that there's a prophet in Israel. <clears throat> Would the average Christian have just 10% of this much confidence? So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. Check this out. Then Elisha sent him a messenger. He didn't even go out of his house. He's like on the couch, like... Pan Candy Crush eating popcorn and praying in tongues. And he's like, ah, who's here? 
Oh, the entire general's army from the neighboring jet that's trying to pick a fight with our king? Yeah, they've got a servant in here somewhere. You, go out there and tell him something for me. I'm busy, I'm painting my nails. Go and, and so Elisha sent him a messenger who said, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you'll be clean. Just so you know, the Jordan was like a toilet. All rivers back then were like toilets. You drank out of them, you'd put stuff in them. So Naaman went, verse 11, Naaman went away angry saying, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot to kill. You, we have this, right? We do this all the time. Okay, here's how I'm going to get healed today at Healing Sunday. There's going to be this thing, and then an angel's going to fly down, and then all the lights are going to go off. There's going to be pixie dust, and, and then I'm going to get healed. Ah. And then you show up, and I preach. Ah, crap. <laughs> Verse 12. Are not the Abana and the Parfar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I have not washed in them and been cleansed? So he turned away in a rage. You don't want generals in a rage. That doesn't usually end well. Naaman's servants, God bless the servants. You're a servant of God. God bless the servants. However, approached him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? They spoke truth to power. Beloved, don't be so insecure with the people you're called to minister to. Speak the truth. So Naaman, verse 14, God bless Naaman, his submitted and gracious heart, or humble heart. So Naaman went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, according to the word of the man of God. Some of y'all need to listen to the words of the men and the women of God in your life. I'm not going to listen to no preacher. I'm going to just listen to God. Okay. There's a chance God speaks through people. I know you don't think that. There's a chance. And his flesh was restored and became like that of a little child. And he was clean. What did Naaman do to earn this? How holy was he living in a foreign land with a foreign god? You do know Naaman had a little girl as a slave that he'd stole while he was off killing her parents in a foreign land. Was he a righteous guy? Was he praying and fasting, reading the scriptures, being a really holy dude, and then showed up at the prophet, and the prophet's like, yeah, of course, you've earned it. This guy is a scoundrel. He is a terrible person. He actually later on, you can read the rest of the story, he actually later on goes to war with Israel. Talk about, talk about rewarding those. He didn't earn this at all. He's a Gentile. He's out of the covenant of God. He's a, a warring general. He's got a slave in his house. He's a, a terrible person in every way you could design terrible. And he gets healed. And there's a bunch of people in here thinking, man, I'm a pretty good person. Why ain't I getting healed? 
He got it by grace. You want it by performance. I'm going to give you the mystery of Malchus. I'll be done in a minute. Just give me a minute. John 18, verse 1. After Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley where they entered a garden. This is the Garden of Gethsemane. Now Judas, his betrayer, also knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas brought a band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They arrived at the garden carrying lanterns, torches, and weapons. They weren't there for a party, y'all. They weren't there to worship Jesus. They weren't there to do a Jericho march and experience the great worship of the disciples. Verse 4, Jesus, knowing all that was coming upon him, stepped forward and asked them, Whom are you seeking? Verse 5, Jesus of Nazareth, they answered. Jesus said, I am he. And Judas, his betrayer, was standing there with them. Notice that that was like put in there. It almost looks like it's out of place. The next verse says, when Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Jesus said, it actually does, in the Greek, if you look this up, it doesn't say, I am he. But you've got to say this in English to make it, say, make it make sense. In the Greek, it says, I am. They said, whom are you seeking? Jesus said, whom are you seeking? They said, Jesus of Nazareth. Get this. He said, I am. He didn't say, I am Jesus of Nazareth. He said, I am. And just the power of I am coming out of here knocked 300 people on their tailbones. That's your Lord. That's your healer. That's your Savior. Verse 7, so he asked them again, whom are you seeking? <laughs> you know, human nature, it says in Proverbs, as a dog returns to its vomit, so does a fool return to his folly. His folly. Talk about some fools. He says, who are you seeking? Don't you know if you just got up from getting knocked on your tush from the power of God because of the exact same question about 19 seconds ago, you'd probably think, well, I don't think I do the same thing. <laughs> so Jesus says, who are you seeing? And they answer, Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> don't you know they were like, <sighs> verse eight, I told you that I am. Jesus replied, so if you're looking for me, let these go. The most selfless example of all of humanity ever, Jesus Christ. Let these men go. Verse 9, that was to fill, fulfill the word that he had spoken. I have not lost one of those you have given me. He never has and never will. Jesus is still keeping this promise. He's never lost anybody that God has given to him. You're not going to be the first. Verse 10, then Simon Peter drew his sword. Love that guy. Amen. He's packing heat. He's concealing carry disciple. I love this guy. 
He's all like, I got it, Lord. <laughs> oh, Peter. <laughs> then Simon, I, okay. Then Simon Peter drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus, the servant of the high priest. The servant of the high priest. What kind of a moral guy was this? I would say he basically deserves getting his ear cut off. Like, this is a pretty good thing for him. He should have got his head cut off. He's the servant of the high priest. The high priest hate Jesus. This whole thing of Jesus getting arrested was by the work of the high priests. They lied about him. They falsely accused him. They falsely judged him. They sent a bunch of people out in a garden, 300 people with torches and swords. And one of the leaders of this thing, the high priest leader, he gets his ear cut off. Don't you know if you're one of the disciples like, yeah, that's right, take that, Malchus, you jerk. He deserved it. He's coming out to arrest the Lord. Jesus is sinless. Jesus is innocent. Jesus is love. Jesus is grace. He just got knocked on his butt because Jesus is so powerful. And you're still going to arrest him because you want your money or you want your societal connections or you want your popularity with your master, the high priest. Terrible person. Terrible person. And man, I'll tell you what, Jesus let him have it. Luke 22. Those around Jesus saw what was about to happen and said, Lord, should we strike with our swords? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest, Peter, cutting off his right ear, Malchus. And Jesus answered, no more of this. And he touched the man's ear and healed him. And you're wondering if God will heal you. I don't care who you are in here today. You might be a scoundrel covered in Sunday clothes. You ain't no Malchus. And if the grace of God will heal Malchus, that same grace is working in this room today. If it's about qualification, you qualify way more than Malchus. The grace of God healed Malchus as he was in process of arresting our innocent Lord. The grace of God is here to heal you. The same grace for Malchus, undeserved, unmerited healing of a direct enemy is the same grace that's here. And you're his friend. You're the lover that he died for. In this story is also grace for Peter. You know, they could have arrested Peter, rightfully so, for assault and battery, attempted murder. But Jesus destroyed the evidence. Jesus destroyed the evidence, and the grace of God for Peter was in that healing moment, too. The grace of God was for the eleven. Because the 11 could have been fighting against these guys. But through this compassion, this, this show of compassion, this show of power, healing power, Jesus purchased their escape. He told them, you came for me, you're going to let them go. And then healed one of his attackers to show them 
that they needed to follow his instructions. And the grace for all of humanity was in this moment too. Because if Jesus would have done something, if he would have fought back, if he would have called the legions, if he'd have fought back, then he would not have atoned for us sinlessly. Because he would have been guilty of another man having his ear cut off because his people were in his control. Leaders are responsible for what happens with the people that are under them. Jesus would not have been able to go to the cross as an innocent man. The grace for all of humanity was healing Malchus. You're part of that humanity that he still has grace for today. This is how much Jesus wants people to be healed. If he'll heal Naaman and if he'll heal Malchus, that same grace is in this room. Stop deserving it and just receive it. Please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.